Hi, I'm Scott Patton. I just want to thank you for watching our online server today. My goal is to give you an expeditionary journey through God's Word, through expository preaching. And when you get one of our sermons here, we're going to preach uh, based on the Holy Spirit of God's inspired words, the good, the bad, the ugly. Some things you might like and the Holy Spirit is going to inspire you and some things he's probably going to convict you on. Nonetheless, we're honored that you watch us today. God bless you and go bold. You know, when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it should radically change you. The things that you used to do, is, is, it's, you, 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 it's life transforming. And this is what I want to make sure everybody understands from the presence. And the reason this change comes is because the presence of the Holy Spirit of God that has now entered your life. And, and, and then I will tell you, if you don't have the presence, if you've never received the Holy Spirit of God, I'm just going to honestly tell you that you've never been saved. And I want you to let that sink in. The Holy Spirit coming on you is the most significant thing that will ever happen in your life, period, ever. Because the reason is the Holy Spirit of God is going to dwell in you forever. And this is that fundamental change. This is what separates us from any other faith or any other uh, religion on earth. That's what separates us. Because I'm going to tell you, when, when you have it individually, it changes lives. The Holy Spirit, just like Michelle was talking about, the lady that's quit drinking. I know that for my case, with my alcoholism, the Holy Spirit changed my life. And I could not have done it. It's not because of Alcoholics Anonymous. It's not because of any of that. It was because of the Holy Spirit of God. And I want you all to understand that. We have to receive the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the thing. When the Holy Spirit lives in multiple individuals, this is what you see when you have a revival. And so you have a revival, uh, and you have multiple people now receiving the Holy Spirit. I'm going to tell you what happens. An entire culture can change. An entire culture. And that's why when you have mass conversions, you see an entire culture change. And what you're going to see in the next two sermons here in the book of Acts, chapter 19, is you're going to see a pagan, a totally corrupt, uh, Satan's den pagan culture is going to get turned upside down on its head because of the Holy Spirit of God. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, for the last three years, I've really been disturbed by a lot of evangelical elites in the social justice, and they've, they've really embraced this social justice um, attitude. And, and I mean, I can go on the list of them. Beth Moore, uh, David French, Tim Keller, Ed Stetzer, Andy Stanley. And they throw around this term called Christian nationalism, okay? Now, if anybody, uh, and, and basically what they would do, they would throw around this term Christian nationalism if you don't agree with their social justice movement. 
and see that what they've tried to do is they've tried to replace the gospel, the gospel of Jesus, with this, this whole idea of a social uh, uh, justice movement. Where you, and, and see, you saw this. When, if you don't politically ad- adhere to their belief, whether it's with, with Black Lives Matter or critical race theory or the social justice movement, we're going to call you a white Christian nationalist. And one of the things that you saw from a lot of these evangelicals is over the last, really started about five or six, seven years ago, one of the things that they'll, t- they'll tell you during this time period is it's our job as evangelicals to save America. They will, they will, they will, they will, they've been pounding that for six years, seven years. It's not our job to save America. But you know what our job is? Our job is to save Americans, if you believe that, shout amen. Our job is to save Americans. You see, if we save Americans, we don't have to worry about America. Can I get a witness? I mean, you, our job, my job is to save Americans here, right here, because we live in this country. That's our job. Because I'm gonna, you're going to see today how the Holy Spirit of God can change a pagan culture. If, if, I'm going to tell you something, guys. If the Holy Spirit can turn uh, uh, the, 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 the region of Ephesus on its head, the Holy Spirit can, can change America. He can. And, yes, he is a he. And the title of our sermon today is, Did, Did You Receive the Holy Spirit. And we're going to go through, and we're going to be in our Bibles today, if you've got your Bibles with you. Uh, we're going to be in, in Acts uh, chapter 19. As you know, we are BYOB church. Bring your own Bible. Your Bible apps count too. Uh, so please, uh, uh, if you have God's Word, we're going to preach expositorily, verse by verse, and uh, we're going to get started. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you and we praise you. As we talk about your beautiful Holy Spirit today, Lord, know this. Let the congregation know this. You're not going to get a word from Scott today. We're going to get a word from you, Lord. And I just ask, Lord, that, 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 that you block out all distractions where the Holy Spirit of God can come upon this church right now and come in this beautiful word that you, you, that you have set forth in us. Every page of this book is going to come alive, Lord. And I, I just pray, Lord, that the verses here in, in Acts chapter 19 comes alive. And when, 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 when somebody leaves here today, they know that they have a message from the Holy Spirit of God. They don't have a message from Scott. And, Father, we just love you and we praise you. And I ask that you forgive the pastor today because my sins are many. And all God's people said what? Amen. All right, so... I want you to look at verse, uh, chapter 19, verse 1. This is where we're going to start. And our first verse here, it's Caleb, you see on the screen. And it happened, and it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples. Now, here's what I want to start with right now. The upper regions of Ephesus. I want you to look at that. I want you to think about this for a second. So what we're seeing here, uh, this is actually Asia Minor, okay? This is actually Asia Minor uh, that, that we're talking about here. And here's what's very significant about this. You have a great deal of a presence of Samaritans. Now, if you guys know your Bible, the Samaritans and the Jews, they, they kind of don't like each other, okay? I mean, in fact, that is probably the, they, they absolutely hate each other. And they have hated each other for centuries upon centuries. You guys know the story. You guys know all the stories about the Samaritans and Jews. They absolutely hate each other. Now, here's what I'm going to tell you. 
Here's what I'm going to tell you. This also in this region was significant because in this part of the, the Ephesus, they worshiped this pagan god, uh, this Greek pagan god uh, by the name of Artemis. Now, Artemis was a, a sexual goddess that had, I'm just going to be tarse here, she had multiple breasts, and she was called the goddess of the night. Okay, now see, see, here's why this is important. People would literally come from all over the world. To, they would come to the Ephesus region to, 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 uh, to worship this pagan goddess named Artemis. Okay, now here's the thing. They would come all over the world. Now, here's what's really sickening about this whole deal. Uh, they, would, they would celebrate this with weird orgies, with bestiality, with homosexuality. They had rampant pedophilia. And, and, and this, all this was going on in the, in the region of Ephesus. Now, this is significant because Paul said, I'm going to turn with the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to turn this place upside down. Okay? And this is what's happened here. So Paul has the guts to come into this region and start playing the gospel and start preaching the gospel. Now, the other thing I want you to understand is Ephesus, besides the, the, being a big tourist attraction, okay, it was one of the largest trading centers for the Greco-Roman world. So it was basically the Greco-Roman world would open this up to the, the entire continent of Asia. It was like a, it was like a, it was like a door. It was like a, a gateway, okay? So you had a lot of people that, that would make a lot of money in the trade business. But Paul, about this time that Paul started coming here, that trade started kind of working off. They didn't have as much of it, okay? So they were kind of in a, in a depression. Uh, and, and the Ephesus region also, I think it's very important to point out, had a lot of, I don't know, they had a lot of sorcerers. They had a lot of wizards. They, had, they, they, they were like in a constant state of Halloween on steroids, okay? Uh, they had all these types of witchcraft and all these other kind of things that were going on here. And the fact that Paul was trying to evangelize this region of the world is just absolutely amazing. It's absolutely amazing that he's trying to evangelize this. Now, here's what, here's what I want you to look at. And he says, um, let's look at this, these three words right here, finding some disciples, okay? Now, so in all this heresy, all this witchcraft, all this horrible sexual nonsense that's going on here, and all this tomfoolery that's going on in this whole region of Ephesus, Paul finds some men that claim to be disciples, disciples of Jesus. Now, what I'm going to tell you, isn't it amazing how the Holy Spirit of God sometimes will set up a divine appointment, Okay, he's setting up a divine appointment now. So the Apostle Paul is in this region. He just happens to run into these guys that claim to be disciples. Now, you remember, these are Samaritans. Now, I want you to look here at, at, at verse 2, Acts 19, verse 2. He said to them, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Okay, stop right there for a second. I want you to look at that in your Bible. If you've got your Bible with you, that's probably one of those sayings that you probably ought to highlight. That's probably something you probably ought to put, a, put an underlying. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Man, that's a neat question. But Paul, he's out there. He runs into the disciples. Hey, we're, we're disciples of Jesus. And Paul said, really? Really? Are you? Did you receive the Holy Spirit? That's the first thing. He didn't say, hey, how you doing? Where are you guys from? Oh, you're on Jesus' team. That's awesome. No, he said, did you receive the Holy Spirit of God when you believed? He asked him that question. 
They said to him, we have not so much of heard where there is a Holy Spirit. Verse 3, and he said to them, into, this is Paul talking now, into what then were you baptized? So they said, into John's baptism. Let's go back to did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Everyone say receive with me. Receive. Okay, now think about this. Think about this. I want you to think about this. Paul's question is simple, and it's one of the most profound questions in all the Bible. If you do not have the Holy Spirit of God, you're not saved. So why? We, it, so it makes a lot of sense that he would ask these guys, these, these guys that claim to be disciples, and I'm going to tell you something. There will be so many beautiful human beings that will spend eternity away from God that have not received the Holy Spirit of God. There are people in this room that have a beautiful testimony that thought they were saved at one point in their lives in this church only to find out they really weren't and they would have the Holy Spirit of God come upon them later on in life. It's a beautiful testimony. The presence of the Holy Spirit is how we get our identity in Christ. This is how we get in the gate because, you see, our sin is too bad to get in heaven. But with Christ's identity, okay, we have a free pass into heaven. And the only way we get that free pass to get in that gate, that beautiful, that beautiful pearly gate is going to be, is if we have the presence of the Holy Spirit who resides in us. Now think about that. I want you to let that sink in just for a second. You see, the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit is also what is sanctifying us. It's what's shaping us. It's what's developing us. It's, it's, it, it is the thing that shapes us. Now, when you see Paul here, he's making a couple of assumptions. And I want to point these out because this is pretty significant. He's making some assumptions. He runs into these guys. He's making these assumptions. Paul is, is, is probing. Okay, now... In reality, it's the Holy Spirit who's residing in Paul that's probing these guys, okay? You see, he's getting Paul to probe. Now, here's what's happening. Here's what's happening. Paul is, is probing. So, so, so he said, you know what? These guys seem like pretty good dudes, and they claim to be disciples of Jesus, but you know what? And they're trying to be legit, but they're confused. They're really confused. So Paul, is, he's discipling. He's, he's doing what we all should do. The second assumption is his true belief that the, the reception of the Holy Spirit of God, the reception is intertwined with salvation. And, and you cannot separate the Holy Spirit chronologically or physically or logically. Can I get an amen? You can't. You can't do that. It's just not possible. It's not possible at all. Now, here's the thing. Before you can be baptized... You have to be baptized in the blood of the Lamb. And the way you get baptized in the blood of the Lamb is the reception of the Holy Spirit of God. It's the reception of the Holy Spirit of God. And that happens before water baptism. Now, I'm going to just tell you guys, here in God's country in southwest Oklahoma, that's a problem. Here's what I mean by that. People are raised and they grow up around the church. I mean, you, you think about southwest Oklahoma here. Most people are around the church in some degree. And they say, hey, you know, uh, you know, I went to fifth quarter, man. Hey, 
I, my, my, my grandma, my grandma had me in Bible school. Amen. My grandma had me in Bible school. My daddy was a deacon. My granddaddy was a deacon. My Aunt Betty Bertha Two-Shoes played the organ in the first self-righteous church. I'm good, preacher. Come on. I mean, this is what it is. Hey, we're good, preacher. We're good. All right? I'm good. And I hear this all the time. Well, you know, I went to, I, man, my grandma had me in church all the time. I'm there, preacher. I, I believe in God. I'm a Christian. Now, I want you to think about this. I want you to look at this next part of this verse here as we break this down. We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. Now, these guys are claiming to be disciples of Jesus, and they don't even know if there is such a thing as the Holy Spirit. It's amazing that the author of Acts, who is Luke, makes this claim that they're disciples because they're claiming to be disciples. This statement uh, is perhaps indicative of what we see in the world today. I'll tell you guys, there's so many so many disciples of Jesus and so many Christians that don't understand the sheer significance and the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit of God. Okay? I heard a man, I was reading this. I can't remember if I was reading this. I saw it on TV or a podcast or something. But this man said he was having a very difficult time in his life. And he said, I don't need the Holy Spirit for this. I need Jesus. And here's the thing. That guy's confused. Okay, he's confused. He's confused. And this is this, is, this, this mindset that we've got to change. We've got to change this, okay, as pastors, as a pastor and a disciple of Jesus. And we're all, if you claim to be a Christian, every single person in this room is a disciple of Jesus, is a disciple of Jesus. And this is what you, we need to understand here. And for years, I'll just tell you guys, I'm just going to tell you, when I was growing up and, and really up until probably – I would say about 10 years ago, the Baptist church really got away from really talking and preaching about the Holy Spirit. I know I've had this conversation with Les. I had it with Brother Troy not too long ago, and I've had it with several pastors. Why the Baptist church got away from talking about the Holy Spirit, and I have some, some ideas, but here's the thing. My emphasis on the Holy Spirit is is one of the most important things I think we as disciples of Jesus need to talk about doctrinally in our churches. Because here's the thing, guys. You could have 30 PhDs. You could have 30 doctoral degrees. Uh, you could have a 50-pound head, and I could be book brilliant, okay? Book, book brilliant, but God's stupid, okay? I could be book brilliant, but God's stupid, because I'm going to tell you something, guys. The same Holy Spirit that, 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 that we need to talk about in the pulpit all the time is the same Holy Spirit that, that told me to get in Acts chapter 19 today and, and preach the Word of God in verses 1 through 10. Can I get an amen? And, and, and I will tell you guys. I, I, I'm very upset. I know this happened, and it's not just in the Southern Baptist Convention, but it's happened in Presbyterian churches. It happened in Methodist churches. It's happened in the Lifeway churches. This whole idea of contracting research for your sermons, I think it's absolute junk. Okay? It's absolute junk. It's ungodly. And if you know that churches are doing that, it's wrong. I'll tell you what else is wrong. If your staff is preparing your research for you, that is wrong. 
Because, see, this whole process, if you're not spending, if you're a pastor and you're not spending, you know, I would say 12 to 20 hours a week getting your message ready, that is that time that you have to wrestle with the Word of God. And that's that time that I'm in prayer, and that's that time that I have to understand. I had to do the background uh, uh, research to that to understand that there's, Ephesus was a bad place. You know, it was, I just told you about this stuff. That's where you get the background. This is where the Holy Spirit started to communicate to me. And this is where he's saying, this is what you have to do. You see, because, because like I said, you could be book brilliant, but you could be God stupid. Now, here's the thing. Here's what I want you to think about. I want you to look at verse, uh, verse 4. Go to verse 4, Caleb. Because like I, like I talked before we get there, like I talked this in our prayer today, you don't receive a word from Scott. You receive a word from God. And if you preach expositorily, you're going to receive a word from God. Now, then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people they should believe on him and who would come after him, and that is on Christ Jesus. So here's the thing. Here's what I want you to look at here. Okay? So John indeed baptized with repentance. So Paul's explained to these disciples that, 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 that John uh, uh, did the baptism with the idea of an eventual coming of a Messiah. Okay? But here's what I'm saying. So John the baptism, or John the Baptist, was on the other side of Calvary and Pentecost. You see what I'm saying? Okay? He, he was on the other side of it. Because when John was preaching this baptism of repentance, Jesus hadn't been resurrected, had he? Right? You hadn't had Pentecost. The Holy Spirit hadn't come on the earth yet. You see what I mean? So, that's, that's, so he is on the wrong side of this. He's on the wrong side of this. And this is what, what, what Paul is telling him. And now he, he's saying, hey, for your day, this is correct. This is correct for your day. But see, hey, buddies, I'm just here to tell you guys, you, you got kind of lost in the sauce here. Paul's being a good disciple. He's, he's laying this out for him. He's laying this out for him. He's saying, you know, uh, this is something you probably need to look at here. All right? Now, because, because Jesus was resurrected with what? The power of the Holy Spirit. Because his mother was impregnated by what? The power of the Holy Spirit. And when you had Pentecost, uh, when Peter preached the, to, uh, at Solomon's Colonnade and 3,000 people got saved that day, that was the power of the Holy Spirit that came up on the earth. They weren't valid believers. Paul knew he had to get them right. They had to have the Holy Spirit. Now, here's what I want you all to understand about the Holy Spirit. This is not a force like you see in Star Wars, okay? Now, I will tell you this. The Holy Spirit is the most powerful being on the universe. If you believe that, shout amen. Amen? Most powerful being on the universe. And I'm going to also tell you, the Holy Spirit is not an it, Okay, the Holy Spirit is a, is a living and breathing uh, person just like God the Father and God the Son. Can I get an amen? Understand that. Because it's not this, 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 this like electricity energy. The Holy Spirit has always been a part of, uh, since, the, since the book of Genesis. You know, when, 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 when Jesus said, let us go down, or when God said, let us go down and confuse your language, in the book of Genesis, he wasn't talking. Who's us? Okay, us is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Trinity of God. 
understand that. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Look at verse 5. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of Jesus. Isn't it amazing? Back in the New Testament, baptisms happened right then. You know, today, they didn't have like 19 different discipleship classes. <laughs> you know what I mean? They just, they, they went and baptized because that's what God's Word said. And, you know, somebody's asked me the other day, they said, well, how do you really know the Holy Spirit or when, when somebody comes to Christ, how do you really know? I said, I don't. I really don't. I have to rely on prayer and I have to rely on the Holy Spirit. And I'll tell you guys, it's hard with children because you really don't know sometimes. But sometimes they're a lot smarter than you think. <laughs> and, and, and it's not good to question the Holy Spirit's motives. You see what I mean? So I have to be in a lot of prayer with that. Now, I've said some kids weren't ready, okay? But some kids are. But, you, you, you know, but here's the thing. Here's what I want you to understand. You see this throughout the Bible. You remember the, um, remember the story of the eunuch, uh, the Ethiopian? Remember when he got baptized? Remember that story? Okay? So the, remember the, the eunuch, he, he was under the great authority, the authority of Candace the Great, who was the queen of Ethiopia. And you remember how Philip left the revival? Philip left the revival, and he came down, and the Holy Spirit told him to go and find this man out in the desert. And all of a sudden, this eunuch was, was looking in God's Word, who, who, who happened to believe in Judaism at the time. And he had Philip explain to him the Scripture, and then through the power of the Holy Spirit, Philip led him to Christ, okay? And remember what he said in Acts 36? The eunuch said this. He said, and that let there be the way. that they're, they're, They came unto certain water, and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? What doth hinder me to be baptized? Do you understand that? So here's the thing. Philip takes him down to some nearby water, probably uh, somebody's pond, some farmer's pond, and, and he said, uh, uh, it's time to be baptized. And he baptized him right then. And that, that way, but see, here's, you understand this. This man, this eunuch, had the full identification of Jesus Christ in him before he did this water baptism. Understand that. Now, I want you to go to verse 6. And Paul, and Paul laid hands on them, Then the Holy Spirit came upon them. Okay, stop right there. So now he had the disciples. Now Paul is talking to them. Now Paul is, is laying hands on them. And he's praying with them. This is significant because, remember, I want you guys to keep this in the back of your head. Paul is in Ephesus. He runs into 12 guys that think that they're disciples, and now he's putting his hands on them. Now he's praying with them, okay? Now here's the thing. Remember, these guys are Samaritans. These are people that the Jews hate, and Paul's putting his hands on them. How dare you put your hands on a Samaritan? Now think about that. See, this is where this, the Scripture comes alive here. And this is where we got to pull this out. Now, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. I'll tell you guys, some pastors totally shy away from laying hands. Some will call it pagan. Some will call it dangerous. But I'm going to tell you right now, according to the Bible, laying hands is a part of Jesus' ministry. It's a, laying hands as part of the disciples, and we've laid hands in this church as far as, I'm, uh, as far as I know. I've seen it done for years. Haven't you? You've been here for a couple of days, J.D., and I think the Bible's crystal clear on this. Laying hands is not eerie, it's not mystical, and it's not a jester. 
Okay, besides this verse, there are multiple occasions in the Bible where you lay hands on somebody for salvation, for healing, for blessings, for ordaining. We laid hands on, on uh, Johnny just last week for, his, for his, his heart condition. Okay, you guys laid hands on me right here, right here. The deacons and the elders of this church laid hands on me when you ordained me, right? Okay, laid hand. we laid hands on Brother Don. We, we brought him as a deacon. We laid hands on Barry. Remember that, Barry? We laid hands on Barry when we, when we ordained him as a deacon. Uh, laying hands is, 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 is part of the ministry. It's necessary. So ask the question, what, was it necessary to lay hands on these men? And I will tell you emphatically, yes, it was necessary. The Holy Ghost is using Paul's apocalyptic authority here uh, <coughs> as a witness to men to unite the church in Ephesia. That's what he's doing. Because remember, guys, this place is culturally corrupted. This place is a dumpster fire of just absolute uh, uh, paganness. Okay? Now, on a side note, I want to make sure I, I, I make this, this crystal clear where you guys see this. What you saw in speaking in tongues. On a side note, there's no place in Scripture that ever says you must speak in tongues to have the Holy Spirit. None. No. Okay? There's no place that. Okay, now I don't have time to theologically uh, uh, talk about all this, and someday we might. But this is the same language that you see here in, in the book of Acts, chapter 2, when we talk about when the, in, in, during Pentecost. You see what I mean? You saw the same things. They were, they were speaking in languages. When Peter preached at Solomon's Colonnade, I talked about that a while ago. But I want you to look at verse 7. Let's go to verse 7, Caleb. Now the men were about 12 and all. So now these disciples that are in Ephesia, that are Samaritans, just happen to be 12. Isn't that cool? Think about that. Think about that. Everybody say 12 with me. Okay, now think about this. Numbers in the Bible have meaning. You guys know numbers in the Bible have lots of meaning. Do you know what? I looked this up, and uh, I think it's BibleDefinitions.com. I looked this up. You know what the number 12 means in the Bible? Two words, power and authority. How would you describe the Holy Spirit? Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? I mean, it's not a coincidence. This is the Bible coming alive here. I mean, 12 has, has significance. Jesus chose 12 disciples, did he not? Jacob had 12 sons. There are 12 tribes of Israel. There were 12 minor prophets in the Old Testament. There are, there are 12 trees to the tree of life in Revelation. It'll bear 12 fruits, okay? Remember uh, after Jesus fed the, uh, the, the 25,000, not the 5,000, but the 25,000? Well, how many baskets of fish and loaves were left over? 12. There you go. There were 12. Okay, there, there's meanings in this, okay? How many spies and scouts went and uh, spied on the promised land. According to Numbers chapter 13, 12. <laughs> Think about it. 12 is powerful. There's something in about 12. Power and authority to 12 men in Ephesus, in Ephesus that were Samaritans is kind of a big deal that they got the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen? You see what I'm saying here? Now let's go to verse 8. And they went to the synagogue and spoke boldly, for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom. Everybody shout, go bold with me. There we go. That's where we get it. Spoke boldly. 
Okay, see, see, Paul was full of the Holy Spirit. Now these guys, these, these, 12, uh, these 12 Samaritans and this, this culturally corrupted cesspool, this dumpster fire, they are going bold. I'll tell you guys, sometimes I just feel guilty about being a disciple of Jesus in southwest Oklahoma. Because it's really easy to, to go bold here. But try going bold in China. Try going bold in North Korea. Try going bold in Russia. You see where I'm going with this? Try to go bold in Nigeria right now. You, you see what I mean? Try to go bold in those places. You can be a bold disciple here in Southwest. And, and I would even say there's some places in America you can't go bold, like Seattle and, and Chicago and some of these places uh, they, they have now. They see these corrupted towns and some of these corrupted states. You can't even do it in Canada. These 12 men in Ephesians that received the Holy Spirit were just going crazy. But I want you to go to verse 9. But when some were hardened, they did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude. Okay, we're going to stop right there for, for a second. Guys, when you are being a bold disciple for King Jesus, you're going to make some enemies. Can I get an amen? You are. I mean, that's just the way it is. And, and God never promised us a nice, soft landing in heaven. I wish he did, but he doesn't. Okay? But when you're going to be bold, you're, you're not going to make some friends. And, 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 and you're not going to make some friends in society, and you're seeing that and this is really, really what we're seeing today in the government with this, these, these, vac these mandatory vaccine mandates. And we're standing up saying, you know what? This is, this is between that individual and God, okay? Whether you get your vax or you don't get your vax, it's between you and God. It's between you and God, okay? You're seeing this when, when, when you saw all the, uh, the, the emphasis on closing down the churches and all the, the food fights that we had with this last year. You're seeing this with the abortion uh, industry. You're seeing this with all the, the, the stuff that you're seeing uh, with the, uh, you know, uh, the FBI and the school board, National School Board Association calling the... Uh, the uh, parents who disagreed with critical race theory, a domestic terrorist. You're seeing this, okay? All right? And sometimes being a disciple of King Jesus is not going to be very popular. I'm just saying. Paul sets a, uh, um, but what's, what's, what's interesting about here, so what Paul did, they were starting to make some enemies. So what Paul do? He departed, withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. Now, so what Paul did, he took his disciples from the field, okay, and then he started training them for two years. Isn't that amazing? And it's amazing that the, that the church met in the school, okay, and he was preparing them. He was preparing them. He was discipling them, okay? Now, the early church was flexible. It was adaptable. In closing, I want you guys to think, go back to the original question today. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? I want to ask you that. Because like I was telling the Sunday school class today, sometimes I really feel the presence of God in my life and in my being. And I'll tell you guys, some days it's not as strong. I, and I know if I feel that way that you probably are too sometimes. 
Sometimes you can just feel the presence of God in you. Sometimes you can't. And what I want you to do, I want you to understand that that's, that's normal. But what I also want you to understand is that you, you've got to be in God's Word. You've got to be in His prayer. And I've got like this morning, I said, God, just, just give me your spirit. Give me every bit of your spirit, Lord. And what you're going to see in the next sermon is why it was so important that Paul made sure that the disciples knew that they had, be sure that they had the Holy Spirit of God. Now, with every head bowed and all eyes closed, Father, if there's somebody here today that has not received the Holy Spirit, I pray, Lord, that you would, you would, you would bring the full force of the power of the Holy Spirit to let him reside right here, right now. Father, there may be somebody that, 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 that has been struggling with addictions. Maybe they have a bad relationship. Maybe there's something going on that's so horrible in their life right now. And they just need the Holy Spirit of God to, to break that addiction, to let that addiction fall off. Maybe there's somebody in here that, that might have just signed a card and might have just walked the out or went and got baptized one day, but they never received the Holy Spirit of God. I just pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit's presence that's in this room right now will come upon them. Somebody's watching our online service. If you haven't received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you must admit to Him that you're a sinner. Believe that He indeed was the Son of God. He was resurrected. He died and He was resurrected. Now, the third thing is you commit to Him forever. If you didn't meet that prayer, just send me a text or an email. I'm going to give an invitation for somebody in the room right now. I just pray that you let the Holy Spirit dwell in you and let Him change your life. And we ask these things in Jesus' holy, precious name we pray. Amen. Please stand.